I want to thank you for joining in to the Bible study this evening. And again, I want to encourage you to have your Bibles. And really tonight, I want you to see the verses that we are working through as we conclude 1 Peter chapter 3. We actually began this several weeks ago on Sunday morning, dealing with marriage and the husband and the wife. Continuing it as we close it out because of the overlap with the awareness that this enables us to live out our best life. We've worked our way to a very interesting set of verses. It's a seeming gear change, though I think it encapsulates all of the thoughts of Peter's letter beautifully, and it points us to Jesus Christ. There is an old adage, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. That was said by a coach as a motivational tool for his players. But I understand as a believer, winning is actually the ultimate end for every believer, for every Christian, because of Christ. Winning is the only thing that can be the end of it all for us as Christians. And when we arrive at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, we are struck by the first two words that we encounter, for Christ. Those two words are a declaration, a further commentary on everything that has been said up to this point, even what we have studied in this chapter. And we have to, every time we arrive at a segment of verses to study, keep it in the context and ask, what is the main objective of this paragraph and stick to it? And you'll see why that's very important as we work our way through this. If we back up just a little bit, we'll remember in our last study we discussed unjust suffering. In fact, in verse 17, For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. It's better to suffer for doing well than it is for doing evil. Right on the heels of that statement, the Holy Spirit, who inspired Scripture, inspires Peter to write for Christ. Verse 18, so all of this unjust suffering that you may endure, here's the attitude to have, we discussed that. Why would we be discussing unjust suffering for Christ? And note verse 18, also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Now, you'll recall, we have an attitude that we must display, a heart condition that we must have inside of us when we unjustly suffer. And while you do that, remember that Christ also once suffered, and certainly that was unjust suffering. And there was blessing attached to the unjust suffering of Christ. What was that blessing? Well, our salvation. 
The focus here of these verses is Jesus Christ. The focus of these verses is on Jesus alone. And Peter's going to declare some really serious doctrine about Jesus. He's going to re-examine and tell us about his crucifixion and his resurrection and his glorification, his exaltation, the ascension. And I believe that settling these truths secures our best life, helps us to live out our days as God intends for us to live them out. And we're just going to walk through these verses. And it requires some study. He said in verse 18, Christ also, just like you, may unjustly suffer. Christ also hath once suffered for sins. It's a beautiful verse. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened in the spirit. This, as one said, is one of the clearest and briefest and most concentrated forms of the gospel. It's all the gospel wrapped up, simply put, Christ died once for all. That is encouraging, that is an awareness that we don't have to go back and relive or redo his death. And there is nothing about our death that can save us. He died once for all. And Peter's linking the suffering readers, us, with the suffering of Jesus. It was the death of all deaths. It permanently solved the sin problem. Jesus Christ came. He was the perfect substitute for sin. And his blood on the cross becomes the one and only payment that is sufficient to God for sins. It satisfies the wrath of God ultimately. And further than that, all debt is wiped away by Christ in his death and shed blood on the cross, and it wasn't fair for him to die. After all, he was just, and he died for the unjust. It's a declaration of the gospel. Settling this truth secures our best life. Jesus died once for all. The just, he died suffering for righteousness' sake. For the unjust, I love how one commentator pointed out, you may not know that you and I were actually referenced in Scripture, named in Scripture. And it's right here in this verse, the unjust. Just for the unjust. Why did he do it? Well, let's continue on. The just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. That he might give us access Study that out. You'll come across this in the Greek. This concept refers to the one making the introduction to bring us to God. As one author wrote, certain officials controlled access to the king. They verified someone's right to see the king and then introduced that person to the monarch. Peter uses that very idea to describe Jesus as the person who is verifying your and my rights as members of the family of God by faith in his death and his payment for our sins. In other words, he concluded, anybody who wants to go to heaven 
but doesn't want Jesus to have anything to do with it, has essentially ruled out, according to this passage, the one whose role verifies your right to get in. He died, he suffered, the just for the unjust, that he might give us access to God. Settling these truths secures our best life. He was put to death, but he's alive in the flesh. Or, or, but he is alive. He's put to death in the flesh, forgive me, but he is alive, quickened by the Spirit, and he's now at the right hand of God, and we'll get to that in a moment, ascended from this earth. And now, because of that, he's making intercession on our behalf. He is praying for us. He's moved by our needs. He's touched, the Bible says, with the feelings of our infirmities. Settle this truth. Christ hath once suffered and died, but he is alive. Then we hit a very interesting verse. Christ went and preached. It's intriguing. Now, when Jesus was on the cross, make no mistake about it, he died a real death. Jesus Christ was dead. He was man. He was a human. He was man. But he was both God and man. Truly, he was flesh and blood. He could die because he was man. He could pay the penalty for all your sins and mine because he was God. And there on that cross, the body of Jesus died just like yours and mine will die one day. However, when Jesus died, just like you and I die, he did not cease to exist. He didn't go and rest or sleep somewhere. We are about to find out he was very much existing. And Peter here begins to kind of track the itinerary of Jesus Christ after the crucifixion. Note what he says in verse 19. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. What in the world does that mean? When in the world did this occur? What in the world did Jesus preach when he was there? We just have to draw on context and we have to draw on scriptural knowledge. It's referenced here. The time is set that this was the time of the flood. Noah was preparing the ark. And we grasp from Genesis chapter 6 that sin had kind of reached a flood tide, pun intended. Genesis 6 and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. So this is the setting of time. And we understand something yet further. It's decisive within scripture that there are spirits we understand that Jesus is alive in the Spirit, and he's preaching to the spirits. Well, who are they? Well, they're not human beings. Really, that word is not used of human beings except one time when it refers to the spirits of the righteous in Hebrews chapter 12. 
However, in every other instant, spirits, that word, always refers to angelic forces, both good and evil. So Jesus is making a proclamation to the spirits in prison. Evidently, these are demons. These are fallen angels. And we can establish that from Scripture. These were demons who apparently influenced the terrible wickedness on earth in Noah's day, and they were put there into that darkness, awaiting the day of final judgment. So what did Jesus preach to these spirits that were there? Well, it's an interesting study. Because the word for preach is keruso. It's not evangelism like we would see another word for preaching. He openly declares to them that his mission is accomplished. As one wrote, I believe Jesus went down there and told those spirits in prison, according to the context here, of his death on the cross, the payment for sin, the promise that Satan's plan would be crushed at the cross, it is safe to say that, in effect, Jesus declared unto them that they had lost and God had won. Now, you say, Pastor, I am really intrigued by this. I believe that after Jesus died, his body certainly was buried, but his spirit, his soul descended, and he once there proclaimed victory over sin and Satan and ultimately over death. Now remember, we're settling these truths to secure our best life, and the focus of all of this is on Jesus. Now he comes back and he begins to talk about the like figure that is baptism. Now I want to just be careful to describe what he's talking about there. Peter isn't saying in there in 1 Peter 3, as you get to verses 20 and 21, that the act of baptism saves you. That baptism, rather, is a picture. It's a like figure of what saves you. It is analogous of what saves you. The waters of baptism do not save you. The act of being baptized does not save you. Not any more than Noah was saved by floating in the ark. The fact is, what saved Noah and his family ultimately, and Scripture tells us this, was their trust, their faith in the saving work of God. We're all saved the same way. But the water certainly represented judgment and death. And to them, it lifted them up in the ark, and, it, and the ark kept them safe so they did not drown. So in like figure, when someone steps into the water of baptism, they're surrounded by all of that which represents judgment and the death and the grave, and we bury them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In likeness of his death, we depict the burial in and we depict his resurrection to walk in newness of life. In like figure, he's telling us that the flood, the judgment of sin and baptism, is analogous of what saves us. Remember, what is the context? The focal point of all of this is Jesus Christ. For Christ hath once suffered, 
unjustly. He was just. He did that for the unjust. He who knew no sin became sin. And he did that so that we might have access to God. He introduces us, paves the way, secures our access to a holy God. And he is quickened. He is at the right hand. He has ascended. He intercedes on our behalf. This is encouraging for us. Track the itinerary of Jesus. He declared his victory over sin and Satan in the grave to those spirits that were in prison. And in like figure, as we look at this, we see our salvation again depicted in baptism, not by the water which washes off any earthly dirt, but as an analogy, as a declaration publicly of that which saves us, the death and burial and resurrection, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And then as he concludes, I kind of back up just a little bit to the reality that he is at the right hand. He is ascended. He's at the right hand. He is authoritative. Now, I'm not going to tell you anything you don't already know. After the resurrection of Jesus... There, the disciples witnessed him ascend to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. To be at the right hand of God is an expression. It's intentionally used. It is a place of power. It is a place of authority. So Peter is simply wrapping up this text by emphasizing to us the complete victory and authority of Christ over everything, over all creation, over all humanity, over all circumstances, over all situations, over all spirits, good and evil, over all of that. He is authoritative. Settle this truth. Secure your best life. For Christ, whenever you suffer, And it's unjust suffering. Put your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith. Whenever you feel like you just can't take another step. Whenever you feel like you cannot bear up under another, another bit of burden or pressure, remember Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Think about Jesus whenever you're tired. Whenever you feel like you are suffering unjustly, eyes on Jesus, for Christ has suffered. Once for all, the just for the unjust, and his suffering, there's a blessing attached, your salvation and mine. Settle this truth. We have access to God the Father because of Jesus and his suffering. He did die, and he rose again. He's quickened in the spirit. And he's at the right hand of God, authoritative over all. And at this moment, he's interceding on your behalf. At this moment, he's aware of your needs. He's been touched by the feelings of your infirmities. He does understand. He has declared victory over all. He literally declared victory, mission accomplished to those imprisoned spirits. Baptism, every time we witness it, is a declaration of overcoming the judgment of sin 
through the shed blood of Jesus. And right now, he's authoritative over everything. Let me simply conclude with what one author said. And I think this is important because, man, there's a lot crammed into these verses. And they're not easy to understand. But, but keep the focal point on Christ. He wrote this. Let me make sure we get what Peter wanted his readers to get. I don't think he wanted them to get hung up on demons and spirit prisons and convoluted baptismal conclusions. He was writing to people like you and me who were suffering for Christ. That's how he began this paragraph. They're suffering for Christ. And he says, just remember, the winning side doesn't always seem to be winning. But what he wants us to understand is don't get lost in the weeds here. Eyes on Christ. Understand that even Jesus suffered. And sometimes our suffering makes us think like we're on the losing side. But as we began this, winning actually is everything for the believer. It's how it ends for us. Think about what he has declared. I don't know what your present looks like. To be quite honest with you, I'm I'm aware that we're not even to boast ourselves of tomorrow. I don't know what your immediate or near future holds. But I do know that ultimately, because Jesus Christ was murdered, executed, he died, he gave up his life on the cross. No man took it from him, he said, but I gave it up. And he conquered death, and now he's seated at the right hand of God. Because of that, we have a secure future. And our future is in heaven. And he's victorious over everything that ails us. That's a beautiful thing. That's an awful lot to kind of wander through. I understand. In a short period of time. I look at it kind of as a capstone. All of these unjust suffering type of situations. Just remember Jesus suffered too. And is victorious. Latch on to that. Settling these truths secures our best life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even in these challenging or hard sayings within Scripture, we see your only begotten Son exalted and glorified. I pray that we would, by settling these truths, Lord, secure, honestly, a positive outlook on life, an attitude adjustment in the present because of what we know to be true about our future and your Son. Watch over us this week. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, Email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.